Welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. I'm your host, John McGee. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hey friends, different episode today. Uh, I was asked a question recently by a church planner if we had any type of church planning manual, how we started, best practices, those kinds of things. And we really don't, but you know, I had a conversation uh, through email, gave him a couple thoughts about things that you know, I'm glad that we chose to do. Decisions we made, values that we really held to and drove that 20 plus years later that, you know, we, we're still reaping the benefits uh, from. And so after that brief email uh, exchange, I just made a quick list of uh, seven things that from my perspective, I- I'm really glad that we did at the beginning uh, of Watermark. So if you don't know the story, uh, Watermark's 20 plus years old, 22, uh, I guess. And so we weren't there at the very, very beginning. Pam and I came week seven of the church, but we we're just all in uh, through seminary, came on staff um, later. So I've been at this church on staff 20 years, was highly involved for another two. So I've kind of seen at the very beginning all the way to maturity. And I'll give you a list of a few things. I'm really, really glad that we did. Uh, decisions we made, values we held to or drove, and maybe some of the results that we're still uh, seeing now. And so hopefully, you know, at the end, you'll think about your own context. What are some decisions you could make now? What are some values you could hold? What are some uh, some things that you could continue to drive, uh, even if they're hard, uh, so that down the road you would be grateful for the results? And so here's the first one that I gave uh, the individual that asked about, you know, the way we started, some things we're glad that we did. And so this first one here is that we created a church um, not for people to attend, but where they could be on mission. We weren't trying to find a place that people were just glad to come and attend and that we were somehow offering better religious goods and services than the church down the street. But we wanted to be a place uh, where people could come and be on mission. And those are not just simple phrases. Those have very, very distinct outcomes uh, over time. And at the time when we started the church, the seeker-sensitive movement was very much in vogue, and people were thinking about uh, what it would look like to attract people to church that didn't go to church, people that were uh, far from God. How did you communicate to them? A lot, lot of really good things uh, that came out of that, but also was uh, a sense that that was, in some ways, the end of it all, was just to get people to come. And really, since the very, very beginning, we wanted to be a place where people could come and be on mission, where they could use their gifts, where they could pursue full devotion. And one of the metaphors, it I don't know if I would use it today, but it's what we used uh, back then was that of a battleship. And we contrasted that of a cruise ship. Uh, you know, a cruise ship, if you were trying to figure out which cruise ship to join, you would think about the, the service, you would think about the food, you would think about, did you like the captain? Did you resonate with him? Were you encouraged by the staff? All those kinds of things. Did you have a pleasant experience in a battleship? Uh, the question would be, you know, can I be useful uh, there? And so we actually use that metaphor, uh, that we were going to be a battleship and not uh, a cruise ship. Always want to be careful when you use kind of military metaphors uh, today, but uh, but it really did. I think it really did kind of capture who we wanted to be about. And a funny story, when we actually built the new building, uh, one of the very first slides as we told our, our body what was coming, kind of building we wanted to build, we actually put a picture of a battleship up. And uh, it, was, it was just a joke to say, even though we're going to have a nice building uh, at some point, we're not going to come off mission. And uh, it was really funny. I actually had someone from another church say, tell me you're not actually building a battleship. We, we did not actually build a battleship. However, uh, we did want 
to use the the building that we had that would have been really great, that would have been really easy for people to invite their friends to, to still be a place uh, of mission. And, uh, and so we would just say things like, our goal is not to be big, but it is to be biblical. And we're going to uh, measure ourselves by our ability to be and make disciples, not by attendance, not by uh, numbers, but really were we on mission together and were we uh, loving God, loving others, serving our city. And um, it, it seems subtle, but I really do think uh, 20 plus years later, it's paid some big dividends for us. And I'm really, really glad uh, that decision was made. So the second one of these um, that I was thinking about today is that we really were committed to resolving conflict. And we were, you know, we would say things like we're going to be freaks about unity and we were actually going to resolve conflict. And we had very kind of detailed methodologies, ways we were going to do this. Matthew 7 talks about taking the log out of our own eye. We do that before we practice Matthew 18, which is to tell other people we were going to be very, very uh, careful about preserving the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. We had 24 hour rule where we said, if, you know, for example, if I was to say something gossiping or just speak poorly of someone else, you know, my friend would say, hey, you've got 24 hours to go tell that that person and go resolve it. If not, we're going to go together. So we were really going to force our hand. And again, it seems those are the kind of things that seem really simple uh, back then. But over time, uh, we really did see uh, conflict, not as something to run from, uh, but as an opportunity to glorify God, grow ourselves and grow others. And that dovetailed really great into uh, being able to give each other feedback. And I saw people you know, over this 20 years take and receive feedback and become people they never would have if they hadn't opened themselves up to, you know, kind of feedback or the other person would have taken a risk. I saw relationships uh, repaired because conflict was resolved. So there's just been a unity in our body. This candidly has been a little bit different than some of the other places that I've served or other places that I've gone to church. And it's been such a joy to be here. And, and we don't have to worry about kind of, you know, metaphorically watching our back, watching our six. We can work together and we don't have to, to worry about what other people are saying because by and large, uh, we've committed to resolve conflict. We've demanded it of ourselves. We demanded it of our, of our small groups, of our staff, of our friends. And uh, there's a pretty, pretty spectacular unity, even still today, uh, that has allowed us to do some great things together. So that was the second one I thought of resolving conflict. Um, the third one is maybe no surprise would be uh, to pursue authenticity or just to be authentic. And it was actually one of the core values that we laid out. But as I think about this, I'm not sure we understood way back when, uh, again, I wasn't there at the kind of the design floor when some of our the starting families thought about uh, Watermark, but authenticity was something that was important to them. But I think it really did grow uh, over time. Uh, our understanding, what we were going to call people to, and really our understanding of the payoff and what that would produce in our body. And it really came to a head uh, one Sunday, uh, Nate Grable and his wife um, stood in front of our body and Nate had been struggling with pornography. He had told uh, our pastor and the pastor said, I think it would be great if you shared that with our body. <laughs> and so took a, you know, a, a deep breath and said, sure, I'll, I'll do that. And, uh, and Nate and Teresa stood in front of our body uh, Nate shared his struggle, asked for prayer, modeled authenticity, you know, confessing our sins one to another so that we could be healed. And it really set off something in our body. Nate went on later to write our Regen Recovery Curriculum, and it's a ministry you can find out about at watermarkresources.com, and it is our um, it is our biblically-based recovery ministry that has really helped us make disciples. That came out of Nate's own story. 
And I think that really gave everyone uh, a model and permission to be honest themselves. And so you would see that, of course, you know, from the pulpit, you would also see that in small groups, you'd see that at the staff level, do you think you would see that at any kind of mid-sized gathering? And it just became a way that, that, that we could just not play games. And we were, uh, we were going to be honest. We would say the heart that's well is a heart that tells. And it was never a contest who could be the most honest or who could be the most authentic. And there were some, you know, some obvious guardrails depending on what type of uh, meeting you were in. But I think it was that culture of it's okay to be where you are, not okay to stay there, that really was a key part of what made us us. And uh, there was just kind of this gospel culture that permeated our body that we said, hey, we are sinners and we needed God's grace. And that didn't stop at the moment of salvation. And it allowed us really to, I think, reach people that otherwise would have never come to a church. When we would confess our sins, other people would say, oh, me too. I didn't know other people struggled with that. How can I get well? What would it look like for me to honor God? And that really came out of that desire to live authentically. So 20 plus years later, I've seen the fruits of that. And it's one of those things I'm really, really glad uh, that we did. And so the fourth one uh, that I came up with is that we empowered uh, our members, not not just our staff, it was every member felt empowered. They felt like this was their church. They felt like they could start. They felt like they could lead. They felt like they could serve in our ministries. And so oftentimes what would happen is people would come down front on a Sunday and say, I think we need to start a ministry for whatever it was. And, you know, our response was always the same. That that sounds like a great idea. We just need a leader. Do you think that's you? And we weren't going to just continually hire staff to start every new ministry under the sun or chase down every great idea we ever had, we were going to empower the people of our body to start, to lead, and to serve in ministries. And it's still something that marks us today. When people come a lot of times from other churches, if I'm giving them tours, they will uh, they will just kind of comment about how many members we have that are serving and how it, it almost feels like they are the star of the show and not our staff, which is exactly what we have wanted to be about these last 20 years. We really have always felt that it's the staff role, the, the whole Ephesians 4 model of using our gifts to equip other people for service. And, and by service, I don't mean just passing out bulletins and parking cars, but I mean meaningful ministry. And it's allowed us to scale and to really get involved with people's lives that, that otherwise, you know, we would just have to have these giant meetings with really gifted communicators to draw the, the, the crowd and keep them by empowering the people in our body. It's given us the ability to really uh, minister broadly and deeply uh, to people in our body and to our community. And again, this has just been something that has been a very key uh, part of our church. And it's one of the reasons a lot of our members love being uh, at Watermark is that they don't just attend, they get to serve, they get to use their gifts. They've grown as they've had significant ministry opportunities. And so empowering our body, empowering our members has been something that we've been doing for 20 years uh, plus, And I'm really, really glad uh, that, that we did. And I'm seeing the fruits of that still today. Uh, here's one that we don't do as much now, but I'm really glad we did uh, in the early days, and it is that of retreats. Uh, so there were several different uh, environments we did these uh, in. One that I'm really glad we did were uh, in some of the early days were leadership retreats. So if you were leading in any capacity, you know, if you were even leading uh, a small group in kids ministry, you were invited. And we would get away for a few days and we would, uh, well, we'd laugh, uh, we'd worship, uh, we'd cast a vision, we would uh, celebrate. And so much of the DNA that still exists uh, at Watermark today, 20 plus years later, 
was formed, was articulated, was highlighted back in those meetings that we were small enough that we could get every leader uh, away and invest in them and make sure we were on the same page and and really just dream and pray about a church that we wanted to be attending uh, 20 years later, which is today. And I'm really, really glad that we did those. We did community retreats so you could come with your small group or sometimes we would just take our, our small group leaders and we really, during those times, would hold high the value of small groups. We weren't just going to have kind of fill in the blank Bible studies and get together and check the box. We really wanted to be involved in each other's lives. And we would talk about that and we would highlight what that would look like. And we would do training um, around that and really cast a vision for uh, what could be. That's still paying dividends uh, here in our body. So another retreat that we did, we honestly were just too big to do now, but we would go away for a week to a little Christian camp in Colorado and spend a week there. And we would you know, in the morning we'd have a, a Bible study, some kind of worship time. We'd also do so in the evening. The kids would have uh, some programming and then we would just kind of, you know, play uh, in the mountains together, go on hikes and things like that. And so it wasn't uh, so much the fun components. It wasn't so much, you know, the mountains and and uh, the cold weather, which is really hard to come by in Dallas. So the, all, the, all those were great. But what happened was I think a lot of relationships were formed. And so we would get kind of this full week uh, of relational time uh, with each other, which felt sometimes like two to three years worth of relational time back in Dallas. And uh, those of us that had little kids, we'd put our kids down in the rooms and we'd take our our chairs just outside uh, on the lawn and we would just just talk and we would catch up and we would share our stories. And it'd be hard to articulate and really hard to quantify, but the relational cohesion that happened as a result of that, uh, that time just has paid dividends over uh, this last 20 years. So when we talk about resolving conflict, we're resolving conflict with our friends that we know. We talked about being on mission together or starting ministries. We're doing this uh, not with just acquaintances, but people that we know, we knew their story. We had significant conversations we'd had fun with. So I don't know that that would show up in any kind of textbook on how to start a church or uh, you know any, any best practice. But as I think about it 20 years later, I'm really grateful uh, for those retreats, those times we pulled away. We don't do that as much now. We do so probably much more at very kind of ministry specific ways. But uh, those all church gatherings, those all church retreats, I really do think uh, pay dividends that we are experiencing and, and benefiting from even today. So uh, sixth one, this is going to sound so simple and you're going to roll your eyes. But uh, as much as possible, we tried to be biblically based. And of course, we're a church, you would think that should be in every church's kind of mission, vision, values, statements, but we really took it seriously. And we thought about, you know, should we take on debt as a church? We studied the scriptures. And when we thought about how we were going to handle relationships or who we were going to hire, or what type of ministry we were going to focus on, we went uh, to God's word. Sometimes there were black and white answers. Sometimes there were just principles uh, that we could think about. Uh, we could use God's word as a guide and we could pray uh, for specific wisdom around. As we gave counsel to each other, we really did try to uh, use God's word um, to give this counsel to anchor uh, what it was that we said. And in fact, there were some meetings I remember being in where uh, we would say, not, not, in, a, not in any kind of uh, controlling way, but hey, if you don't have a verse, why don't you not speak right now? If there's, if there's a scripture that would uh, be beneficial for us all to look at, to think about, to pray through, bring that forward. Otherwise, let's just kind of hold opinions uh, for a season. And we would, we would do that uh, quite a bit. And uh, Bibles were actually physically 
present. Uh, we had someone who was with our elders recently, and uh, one of the things they reported back was they said that at, at the elders meeting, they looked around and they saw every elder with a physical copy of their Bible, and they referenced it all throughout the meeting. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't some uh, little token um, or symbol. It was actually something that was being used. It was something that uh, that was being opened, and it was something that was consulted as they were making decisions. And he just, you know, he made the comment. He said, I, "I'm in a lot of elders' meetings with a lot of churches. I don't actually see physical Bibles present, or." Bibles even being referenced in the meetings. And I really think that's a holdover from some of the early days where we were trying to make uh, scripture, our authority, our conscience, and our guide. And we wanted to do whatever it was that was biblical, not chase prevailing trends or winds, not try to be uh, clever. We wanted to be biblical. And yes, there's always going to be a general wisdom. Sometimes there's not a verse for everything. And that that's absolutely the case. But I think probably most people err on the side of not going to scripture than using uh, too much of it. And um, 20 plus years later, I'm really glad that the founders of this church, the leaders and our staff and, and leaders since then have continued as, as much as possible to be biblically based. And so uh, the last one that I was thinking about uh, recently, things that I'm glad we did 20 plus years ago, values we, we started with, uh, was that of valuing family, valuing our children, valuing the roles of moms and dads, husbands and wives. And it was one of the, the kind of the questions we would ask each other on staff at how is your ministry? And what we meant was not, not so much, you know, your midweek gatherings or your preaching ministry or teaching ministry or some type of service. It was talking about your family for those of us that, that were married. How, how is your family? That, because that really is our primary uh, ministry. And it was just something that uh, early on uh, that it was honored. It was held in high regard. Uh, and seen candidly as, as table stakes to lead here in the church. And so if you weren't being a good spouse, you weren't allowed to you know, lead uh, in any significant way here uh, at the church. And uh, those who were good husbands or good wives were held in high esteem. Those who were doing a great job just kind of investing in their kids, having fun, being relationally connected, discipling them, were held in high regard. Those That was seen as a very, very primary ministry. And when it came to you know, push comes to shove on staff and, and we thought about our time, I was able to coach uh, almost all of our kids' uh, sports teams. And I I worked way more than 40 hours uh, a week, but I always felt the freedom to leave when I needed to go do something with my kids and just make that time up elsewhere. Uh, and again, early days uh, of startup, it, it wasn't like anyone was, wasn't working probably more than they should have. But one of the things we had to do was tend to our families and it was something that we celebrated. And in fact, even, you know, in staff meetings, we would talk about all that was going good uh, in our church, uh, in our ministries, but we talked about our families. And we talked about the ways that um, that we were loving our spouses, the ways that we were investing in our kids. And as I raised all of my kids here, literally all of my kids here, and just sent my last one to college, I'm now an empty nest. As I think back about my time at Watermark, these 20 plus years, a big part of the way the way I think about this whole uh, this whole season has been the ways that I was given the freedom, uh, the encouragement 
to lead um, my family, to invest in my kids, to love my wife. And that, w- that was celebrated. It was never couched as an either or here. It was something that I had to do that to lead here. It was a table stakes and it was something that I was encouraged to. And I, and I think, honestly, it was something that was modeled really, really well for me because it was such a high value. It was something that we talked about. And there are just some phenomenal spouses, some phenomenal parents at this church on our staff that I learned from and uh, my kids just benefited from. They, they, they love our church. They love all that, that happens here, but I think they just have appreciated the culture of being family centric. And, you know, I don't remember a whole lot of talks, uh, a whole lot of vision, mission statements. I just remember it was a value uh, that we talked about and we held in high esteem. And 20 plus years later, I'm really, really glad uh, that we did. So that's a list of seven things, seven values, seven decisions, uh, seven things that we just kind of decided way back when and have really carried through even today. And I tell you that uh, because there's some things in your organization that you're doing right now or that you could do uh, now that in 5, 10, 20 years from now are going to make a difference and that you and others are going to be really, really glad that you did. So a couple of thoughts. One, there's a finite number of things that you can highlight, finite number of things that you can insist on, drive, police, uh, hold up. And so think about what is it that you um, that you want to be about? What are the things, kind of the non-negotiables? What are some things that, that you want to keep driving, keep talking about? And so that's one of the fun parts of leadership is you get to create a culture, uh, values or an operating system. Just You get to say people like us do things like this. And you get to say it over and over and over and over again. And I would encourage you to think about that. What are the finite number of things that you want to highlight, that you want to drive, that you want to be about today, that you're going to be able to reflect back uh, on 20 plus years uh, later and be really, really glad that you did. The second thing I want you to know is it, it might take a long time to see results. And just because people don't understand it immediately because they don't get excited about it, they don't reorientate their lives uh, around it immediately doesn't mean that you are, uh, you're driving the wrong things. Uh, And I think about this a lot like planting oak trees. And when you plant an oak tree, it's not very exciting the first couple years, but boy, 20 years later, 30 years later, the shade of an oak tree, the, the results of that planting that happened years and years later is very tangible. And it is just a blessing. It's a blessing to those who can sit under that shade now. And, uh, and some of these values, some of these decisions are going to be that way. So take the long-term view. Uh, don't just think about sending one email, making one announcement. Roll the clock forward. What am I going to be glad I did 20 years from now? Okay, now I'm going to do that for 20 years unless I feel like there's a better use of my time and energy. And then third thing I'd, I'd say is you don't have to have it all figured out uh, right now. You can know the general direction and I think the specifics will unfold. And again, I would take you back to you know, the way we thought about authenticity. I think 20 years ago, we thought we knew and uh, it's, there's been a growing understanding. There's been a, a growing application of that value. And some of these things will unfold over time. And I think as you just kind of, you know, point your skis metaphorically downhill and get going, uh, some of this will make sense. Some of it will untangle itself. And some of the things that you will think that you you understood at the time, uh, you will know you only understood the half of it. And some of these, I think you're, again, you are just going to announce, you're going to say, this is who we want to be, where we're going to go. And they will unfold. You'll be glad uh, you will get to learn from others who put them into practice. Uh, you will get to be inspired uh, as you see other people uh, live out the values. And again, some of these will just unfold over time. So announce it, drive it, explain it, 
and then just be willing to be surprised about the ways that other people implement it, uh, ways that you can learn from them, ways that you will be encouraged. But just start. Just drive a stake in the ground and say, these are some things we're going to do. I think uh, 20 years later, you're going to have your own list, uh, things that you are excited that you did. And other people, uh, even more importantly, will be excited that you exercise that gift of leadership that you have this uh, that forethought and that you had the the courage to kind of to say these, these are the things we're going to be about uh, whether people understand them now whether people agree and 20 years later uh, we're, you'll be able to look back and uh, really really be glad that you stuck to your guns uh, that you stuck your neck out and that God kind of showed up and met you because uh, because you took a risk and you made a, a bold courageous decision a wise next step. So friends, thanks for letting me share today. Uh, Hopefully that list is encouraging to you. Let me know if you've got a list of your own, things you're glad that you did, but I would encourage you to spend a few minutes in your drive time and your quiet time. God, what are the things today you want me uh, to be about? What do you want us to be about? Whatever uh, whatever size, whatever scale you're leading. And so that uh, 20 years later, uh, you can reflect back and just think about God's goodness. So uh, whatever you're doing, however you're serving other people, I hold you in high regard. Thanks for what you do. If we can help you, if you have any questions or comments or any ideas for future episodes, you can always reach us at clp at watermark.org. That's clp at watermark.org. We'll talk to you again next time. 